welcome to the FinTech Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are in conversation with Ray Chandonet, Chief Revenue Officer at Neocova. We'll be finding out more about his personal insights into the FinTech industry, and also how Neocova, based in Missouri, has a focused dedication to the success of community banks and credit unions. Remember to follow our socials for the latest FinTech updates at FinTech Mag. But for now, enjoy the episode. First of all, Ray, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Um, before we kick things off, can I just ask, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Charlotte. How are you? Yeah, I think um, safe to say 2021 is still turning into an interesting roller coaster, um, is probably the nicest way of saying it. But um, yeah, it's, it's going okay. The weather is getting a little bit brighter. Um, you were just saying, actually, for a moment, obviously, that you've just come back from Florida for a few days. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, a nice break from the cold northeastern weather here. Any bit of sunshine is just something to make your day. And see, I wasn't going to say a ray of sunshine there, but, you know, <laughs> kind of slipped out. Um, well <laughs> um, so I suppose um, something which I'm thinking, uh, especially for our fintech listeners at the moment, obviously, we're going to be talking a bit about the company. Um, so that's in regards to Neocova. But I think just to really um, kick things off, um, I'd love for you to begin actually talking about what your career background is. Um, and I suppose anything really which has kind of stuck out for you at the moment with your career journey? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me as a guest. I uh, really, really appreciate it and look forward to having a great chat here. My, my uh, career path, I guess, could best be described, especially in the context of what I do now, as, as a great big circle. Um, I started my career as a, a computer scientist um, almost 35 years ago, which is a bit frightening. Mm -hmm. um, but I was a computer scientist and my first stop was working for a community bank in Massachusetts, de designing enterprise technology using the tools that we had at the time. It was a period of great transformation in mm -hmm. the use of technology, migration away from mainframes and mini computers. This was an era when not everybody had a computer on their desk, which is unheard of um, to today. And I, so I spent the first five years of my career building enterprise technology for a community bank, doing things like digitizing certain processes, anything from safe deposit box rentals to uh, government bond coupon collections and reporting of taxes to the IRS. A lot of these processes were, were very manual then. And one of the notable projects that I worked on, which I'll tie into what we do here at Neocova later, is I built that bank's very first anti-money laundering technology package when Bank Secrecy Act was a new regulation here in the United States around around money laundering. And in that in that stint with that community bank, I, I learned two fundamental things. First of all, I learned how uh, deeply embedded and deeply personal community banks are um, mm -hmm. in the market that they serve. Um, it is very much a people and relationship focused business. In fact, even on a personal level, some of my closest friends to this day are people that I worked with during that first five years of my, of my, oh, wow. of my career. So, so that was one of the things I, 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 I fell in love with the sector um, and the deeply personal way in which these companies engaged with their customers and their community. And the other thing I learned was the extent to which a little bit of technology could go an incredibly long way towards driving efficiencies um, at 
community banks. Okay. So since then, if you fast forward through my career, I eventually moved away from the technology end of banking and into the finance end of banking, spent a 25-year uh, mm -hmm. block of time as an advisor to community banks and smaller regional banks, mostly on financial management matters, balance sheet management matters, but never really lost my, my affinity for the technology side of the business. And so six or so years ago, going on seven years ago, I left my investment banking career and came back to my technology roots because I discovered that the problems that my community bank and regional bank customers were facing were no longer predominantly financial in nature. We had a big financial mm -hmm. crisis in, in the mid-2000s um, that occupied a, a, a ton of my time and energy. But by, by the mid-2010s, the problems my customers were facing were no longer financial in nature. They were technology in nature. They were falling further and further and further behind and at risk of being rendered obsolete. Um, and so I pivoted back to, hence the circle, I sort of circled mm -hmm. back to my, my technology roots, started my own practice for a while, connecting community banks to fintechs who wanted to partner with them, um, uh, spent a little bit of time working on raising capital for uh, technology companies that wanted to work with community banks and ultimately found my way here to Neocova. So already with what you've spoken about, obviously, you know, thank you for talking about your career journey so far, because I think over those, what you're saying, 35 years where you've really kind of, you've gone down so many different avenues, you know, in regards to the technology side and obviously fintech. And I think, like you've just said, obviously, in regards to Neocova, um, this kind of moves me on to um, where we're going to do it as sort of the second part to that question. I suppose my first point is, obviously, how did you end up at Neocova? And could you actually then explain what Neocova does? Sure. So let me let me take those backwards and first tell you a little bit about what Neocova does and who we are. So mm -hmm. we are a technology company that is focused on delivering agile cloud-based technology focused on data aggregation, analytics, fraud monitoring, and core banking into the community bank and regional bank space and into the fintech sort of neobank challenger bank. Um, space. So our mission, if you will, is to use modern technology to drive efficiencies, particularly around money laundering and fraud monitoring, which ties right back to that initial uh, mm -hmm. project that I mentioned at my small bank, hence the, hence the circle. But we're very focused on using data and modern uh, uh, technology, including artificial intelligence and machine learning to drive efficiencies around regulatory processes, particularly around money laundering, uh, fraud monitoring, et cetera, as well as to drive down the technology costs for community banks to help them remain relevant and using data to drive more personalized customer engagement. Um, that's really our focus at, at Neocova. The company is sort of three to four years old, depending on wh where, you start, uh, where you start the clock. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, emerged from stealth about a year ago uh, and started selling our products into the market in earnest about eight months ago or so. Um, I found my way to Neocova because they were my first customer 
um, when I was building a, a business raising capital for fintechs that wanted to work with banks, Neocova was my first customer. I helped the company raise its first round of capital, which was all raised from the community bank space. Wow. Um, so, so sort of almost like a cooperative, um, if you if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's how I became connected to the company. And I was so taken by the, the company's mission to help reinvigorate the sector using technology that ultimately I found my found my way onto the payroll. Um, <laughs> where I, jo I joined as chief revenue officer uh, back mm. in, in June of 2020. I think already, you know, that sounds exciting uh, in regards to your career journey in regards to Neocova, because it's really interesting to see how t that time kind of evolves, not only with obviously the journey that Neocova is having, but actually now that you're on that journey with it and you can sort of say, this is where we started. Um, and now obviously how things are continuing. Um, it's, it's, it's just interesting. I think um, obviously the banking world is so focused on new models, you know, like uh, digital banks and neobanks, but Neocova really believes in the value of community banks, which you just mentioned, obviously credit unions. Can you tell us why that is? I think there's several reasons. And yes, we do believe very strongly in the community bank and credit union model. And there, there are two elements that we're very focused on where we think that community banks and credit unions, and just for context for your listeners who may be less familiar with the way the banking system is set up in the United States, right? unlike most other countries in the world who have a small handful of very, very large banks, and that's it, right? we still have, despite uh, quite a bit of consolidation, we still have just under 5,000 banks, separate banking companies in the United States, and another roughly 5,000 uh, credit unions. And, and many of those institutions are relatively small and very focused on serving a particular community. And it's interesting, the concept of community has evolved over time. When I first joined the, the industry many years ago, community was purely described geographically. Right? Mm -hmm. you, 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 know, you lived in many cases, some of these banks had one physical location and they served the market that they lived in. That definition of community has evolved over time, technology allows these banks to reach markets virtually where geographic constraints are not uh, an, imp an impediment. And so for many banks, community has been redefined around affinity groups and other type of verticals that have common interests, but, but community still matters. So we believe in, in the model for two key reasons. Okay. One is that the community banking model delivers a degree of personalization to the delivery of banking services that is lacking from the large banks and from the fintechs and the challenger banks. I'm not talking about the handling of routine banking transactions, right? Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to go to a bank branch to go deposit a check. Right. There are certain transactional elements of banking that are best handled extremely efficiently um, using technological means. But there's an element of personalization to the delivery of services with community banks that's really incredibly important. And as we continue to talk about this, I've got some specific examples to back that up. But one mm -hmm. is the sort of personalized level of service that we've seen time and time again make a difference. And the other is that community banks um, in many ways are best positioned to deter uh, fraud and money laundering, 
which mm -hmm. is uh, on the rise as more and more financial activity migrates to digital channels, fraud is going through the roof. Um, and in the community bank space, because those companies know their customers, they're better positioned to detect and block fraud uh, from happening. And we've seen lots of examples of that. And so we, we think those are two really important objectives in financial services and our product suite is developed to point at those two, at those two themes, if you will. Yeah, I think with um, with what you've just mentioned in regards to obviously the increase in fraud, you could say that it's sort of like it's um, yin and yang in the sense of obviously the convenience at the moment in the last year, obviously with having digital payments, you know, anything that's actually been more practical for a lot of consumers at home. That being said, obviously in regards to COVID and how things are sort of unfolding at the moment, um, it's, you know, a positive for a lot of consumers. But then like you just mentioned, you know, the increase in fraud, um, it's just it's one of those things which is really sort of taking off because of how convenient like i said you know it's it's just it's it's a tricky one to say isn't it 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 is it is it is absolutely staggering to see how much fraud and uh hacking and cyber uh, security attacks and and things of that nature have increased in lockstep with the increased digitization of banking services, which as you pointed out, was was sort of forced on even uh, customers and banks who were late to the party by the pandemic. You know, when you when you had to physically close your your branch facilities, mm -hmm. you know, people who preferred banking in person didn't didn't have that choice, right? So so we've seen we've seen a rapid acceleration in the adoption of digital tools for routine banking transactions and a commensurate increase in 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 fraud. So I like the way you put it. It is very much a yin and yang, and that's where the the community bank. Uh, element comes into comes into play that has been less pronounced at community banks, right? Mm. And one example I would cite for that is when you look at the rollout of the PPP loan program um, mm -hmm. as part of the pandemic relief legislation, right? We've had several rounds now of PPP lending. Real, uh, I guess three of them, right? We had two rounds that came back to back in early 2020, and then a new round that hit here uh, two, two, three months ago, right? Mm -hmm. And you want to understand the power of the community banking model around those two themes of fraud, money laundering, prevention, and personalized service. On the fraud front, um, the overwhelming, the, the PPP loan program was riddled with fraud, Right, mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm not going to get into a, a philosophical debate as to why that why that was. It's simply factual that that program was riddled with fraudulent applications. The vast majority of those fraudulent applications were submitted through fintechs and digital neobanks. Um, next in line came through the large banks. Community banks saw almost no fraud other than with customers that came to them through digital channels and with whom they had no other banking relationship other than a PPP mm, loan. Yeah. Okay. I read a statistic this morning in preparing for, for this. It said that, that um, fintechs and 
digital neobanks were almost 50 times more likely to submit a fraudulent PPP application to the SBA than a, than a, than a community bank. It's the power of, no, of knowing your customer. So significantly less fraud as a byproduct of that personal relationship, while at the same time, significantly more powerful impact on communities. We don't have good statistics yet on this newest round of, of PPP loans, mm -hmm. but the, 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 the 2020 version of the PPP program, community banks originated almost two thirds of the PPP loans made in the United States, despite representing, I don't remember what the numbers are, but something, it's less than 10% of the total mm -hmm. assets of the banking, of the, of, of the banking systems. And there are statistics that show that in pretty much every geographic market or every MSA in the United States, the more community banks there were that had a presence in that market, the higher percentage of payroll was covered by PPP loans to small businesses in that, in, 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 in that market. Mm -hmm. One of our customers and founding shareholders here at Neocoba, um, that's a, a, uh, one of our bank uh, investors, they originated an enormous amount of PPP loan volume, including with new customers. And, they, and their, their CEO told me that uh, something like 60% of the PPP loan requests they had came to them through a Google search wow. because it was a small business mm. that uh, was either told by their big bank that they were too small to mm -hmm. get a PPP loan from them mm -hmm. or they couldn't find anybody to explain to them at their bank how to qualify and how to apply. And so they would literally go out on Google and say, who is doing PPP loans in my market? Mm -hmm. And they found their way to this, to, to, to this small bank. Okay. That's that, that difference in terms of the, that, that personalized community presence at these small banks versus the larger banks and the, uh, and the, the neobanks. I mean, it's with everything that you've just talked about there, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's to real to see the real difference, you know, something that we've witnessed just in the last year um, in regards to obviously PPP, uh, PPE loans, but it's just, I don't know, it's a lot to witness, you know, there's a lot um, of talk about digital transformation, um, you know, but beginning that process can be very difficult. Um, this is sort of moving on to my next point. Um, you know, digital transformation, especially for financial institutions that can still rely on uh, legacy technology. Um, could you just answer for a moment, Ray, what are some of your first steps banks can take towards becoming more digital? Well, I could be flippant and say that, you know, the best first step is to find yourself in the middle of a pandemic where you're forced <laughs> to evolve your, your technology tools. That At has, the deep end, yeah. <laughs> yeah that has, um, that has uh, you know, when you're, you're thrown into the deep end of the pool um, without a life preserver, you learn to swim pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And that certainly, um, um, it, it certainly has created a stronger will to, to ev evolve. But you make a great point, right? The digital transformation, which is candidly, a, a, a really an overused term um, the, the, these days, but it's still used pretty regularly. It's a difficult process for smaller financial institutions because they are reliant on technology that's been provided to them by trusted vendors, but that has become very stale. And what it provides in stability, it loses in speed to 
innovation, right? Mm -hmm. In an environment where, right, think about what these small banks went through at the beginning of the pandemic, right? In a three-month period, these banks were told they had to close all of their physical facilities and migrate all of their customer activity to digital channels, and that they were going to be the primary arm of the U.S. government for dispersing PPP loans. If your primary technology providers define the innovation cycle measured in years, which is the, which is the case, right? If you're, if you're a community bank and you want to introduce Zelle to your customer base. Now, Zelle has been in the market here in the U.S. for at least three, if not five years now, right? Still to this day, if you're a community bank and you want to start offering Zelle to your customers and you go to your primary core banking provider, the likely answer you're going to get is we will put you in the queue and expect, mm -hmm. expect around a year turnaround time to be, to be able to launch, okay? Um, because these are old technology stacks built on things like COBOL, some of the tools that I was using, you know, in the 1980s when I first mm -hmm. started my, my, my career. I'll bet you the core system that I was on at my first bank in 1987 <laughs> is still being used by some companies, some Good companies <laughs> out there. It was great technology for its mm -hmm. day, okay? But you can't innovate on it at the pace you need to, to today. And when you try, you create such massive cybersecurity risks that you're bound to drive fraudulent um, behavior. So in that, this was the environment that these banks were put into was, okay, despite all of that, despite a an, an aged technology stack that measures change in years, in three months, you have to migrate all your customers to digital channels, and you have to create a way to, to be the primary arm of originating PPP loans into your marketplace. Ready? Go. It sounds intense That's, already. <laughs> it's 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 terrifying. Mm. Okay, how do you, so? I, I haven't answered your specific question, which is what is the first step? But I, I you know I thought it was important to describe to you. This is this is the situation, right? So how do you take that first step? Well, when you're in crisis mode, the way these banks were a year ago, really what you need to go is you need to go find a partner as quickly as possible. Right. And so the banks that um, did the best job at originating PPP loans efficiently, for example, partnered with fintechs who were able to automate the application gathering process, the underwriting process, the submission to the SBA, et cetera. And they basically put a Band-Aid um, mm -hmm. on, on top of their old underlying um, technology. And that's what these banks have tended to do with these band-aids stuck on top of their their existing technology but if you step away from that crisis mode and and sort of mm -hmm. take the longer view which we're now back in an environment where these banks can take a longer a longer view on on, on this it's easier to describe what not to do than it is what to, to describe what to do first okay but i'll give you both okay <laughs> what not to do is to rip out and replace your core banking system all at once. Okay, it is what mm -hmm. that 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 approach um, is what drives the inertia around adopting new technology in the bank space. Right, banks think that in order to improve their technology, to be better at detecting fraud and money laundering, to be better at digital engagement with customers, etc., that they have to rip out their core system. 
Um, and that is one of the single riskiest things that banks do. Right. If your course, think of it this way, right? If you, mm. if you're, if you're the poor CEO or COO of a of a bank, and you decide to change your core banking system, if it works, nobody notices. If it doesn't work, and Everybody. you end up with dis, <laughs> yeah, it um, if it doesn't work, mm. not only does your bank suffer reputational harm with its customers, mm-hmm. but the poor individual who made the decision to make that change is probably headed for unemployment, right? And so, you know, when the banks think of, well, I need to change, I need to improve my technology, therefore I need to rip out my core banking system, um, it creates a sense of panic and so nothing happens, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you do it? Well, what, what we tell our customers is that you need to take a page out of what the larger banks have done. And when you look at the way the larger banks have evolved their approach to technology, they didn't start by ripping out their core banking system. They saved that for last. They start with data, right? When you mm-hmm. think about Amazon, mm-hmm. right? You know, how is Amazon able to deliver such a personalized uh, experience to you, right? You know, customers who bought X also mm-hmm. like Y and Z, et cetera. It's because they're a data company, right? They've got such, a, such tremendous access to data on their customer's behavior that they can use that to deliver a highly curated uh, experience even around buying paper towels. Mm, I guess that kind of ties into the whole sort of algorithm side of things as well, that you're really kind of, like you said, it, it's a personal experience you're getting from a large corporation. Um, and it is kind of that question mark where it's almost sometimes, how did they know, you know, how did they know I needed to order X? You know, I was just thinking about it or, you know, doing some research. So yeah, I, I totally get that. <laughs> I'm convinced by the way that, that, that my, <laughs> my iPhone can read my mind. I mean, I've, I certainly know it listens to me, but sometimes I do think that it's, it's, it's reading my mind. It's uncanny <laughs> how, how an annoyingly accurate their targeted ads are um, when I go on my uh, on my phone. But but that honestly, that's the expectation that customers have now in terms of how mm-hmm. they engage with the companies that matter to, 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 to them. So how do banks get there? They have to make the same investment in in data as a starting point. Okay. So if you're able to aggregate all the data you have on your customers. Banks have a treasure trove of data on their customers, on their customers' accounts, on transaction volume, um, et cetera. But that data typically is scattered across 20, 30, we've seen sometimes 40 individual subsystems. And those individual data databases or pools of data uh, aren't tied together. And so banks really struggle to uh, to answer simple questions like, you know, which of my, uh, which of my deposit customers don't have a lending relationship with me? Um, mm-hmm. They struggle to identify changes in customer behavior that should lead to a change in the way they they and they engage with them, because they don't have the tools to aggregate that data and then use it to drive actionable insights into their into into their customers that's where you that's where you start because if you're able to aggregate and cleanse and unify that data it makes you better at detecting fraud because Mm -hmm. once you have a really good understanding of what your customers do and and how it acts you can use pretty straightforward ai tools 
to identify behavior that is outside the norm, that could be fraudulent, or could be a change in the customer's financial situation that should lead to a change in how you engage with them. Right? And that, that, that dynamic of starting with data and using that as the basis for understanding customers to both detect fraud and mm-hmm. better engage is at the heart of the tools that we've built at Neocova. We've just built them um, in the cloud in order to make them uh, scalable and affordable for small banks who can't afford to do this on their own. Mm, absolutely. I think, you know, everything that you've just covered, it's really um, the impression I'm getting is obviously with Neocova, it's actually just improving the experience at the end of the day is something which is for the consumer to think actually, you know, the de- the data which is needed to analyze, um, you know, mentioned to obviously I said before about the algorithms that you really have to think is, it's everything that's happening behind the screen. It's stuff which is actually, as a consumer, you're not noticing it as much until you're impacted by it. So, you know, fraud can be one point. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, um, I wish we could talk a little bit more about the whole data side of things, but um, I'm going to have to move on to the next question at the moment. Um, Now, obviously, fintech, you know, it said a lot of the time that it's um, disruptive. Um, You feel that fintech doesn't have to be disruptive. Um, I think, you know, I've I've thought that before, obviously, you know, in that case, you know, sometimes it's too much disruptive or it's not actually a good thing. Can you dig a, you know, a little bit more into that? Yeah, there there's a lot of different things that come to mind on on that front. I believe that technology, I think it depends on how you define the word disrupt, disruption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I believe and we believe at Neocova that technology should be should be fundamentally disruptive to the status quo as long as it is driving greater efficiencies um, and improving, I'm gonna draw on exactly what you just said, improving the somebody's experience okay and if that's what disruption is doing then disruption uh disruption is good right you know if you think we we talk a lot about uber we've got an office in in new york city here at neocova and and we joke about how how archaic it seems that not that long ago if you wanted a ride to the airport and you were in the middle of manhattan and it was pouring out you had to go stand out on the sidewalk in the pouring rain, hold your arm out mm-hmm. and hope that over the course of 30 minutes, a yellow painted car would stop and pick you up. Right. And we think about that experience relative to the experience now of getting on your phone and uh, from the from the safety of wherever you are indoors mm-hmm. um, and summoning an, 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 an Uber or a Lyft. Um, you know, a rideshare company, okay? Um, that, that was good disruption from the perspective of the human experience, right? Disruption though also has side effects that have to be, that have to be contemplated, right? You know, to continue to riff on the Uber experience, right? I'm not sure that the individual taxi drivers who invested their life savings in a taxi medallion um, that later bankrupted them would agree that that was such good disruption, right? To transfer mm-hmm. that, to transfer that topic to to the banking space where we where we live, technology that improves engagement with customers and improves the bank's efficiency is inherently good, even if it, and and probably because it's disrupting the status quo of le- legacy technology vendors, etc. But if the side effect is that you depersonalize the experience 
um, enough that customers can't get what they need when they need it, that becomes that becomes pretty challenging. You know, I, I circle back to our shareholder bank's experience with PPP loans, right? For all of the wonders that the large banks have done using AI and robots and chatbots and things like that to automate the customer service, um, is it really a good result if when a customer is in distress, like they were at the beginning of the pandemic, they can't mm -hmm. get a human on the phone to explain to them how to apply for a PPP loan? Um, mm. that's absolutely that's bad. it's kind this, of like the it's the personal touch isn't it it's actually just a service which you you need uh, it's an emergency like you said you know in regards to the pandemic something unplanned um and then you're kind of then turned to rely on the technology side of things where it's actually you that's the time where you want to have uh that human interaction of actually knowing how to use a service absolutely and, and we think that's we think that's why there is a role to play in the banking system for the community banks. Not everybody is going to want that, right? Uh, you know, and 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 I and I think that will change for people as they're in different stages of their, of their of their lives. But when you when you lack that human touch, because of the impact of disruption. Um, it will have negative repercussions, right? When we look at the community bank space, every time a community bank disappears in the United States, it's really, really well documented. Every time a community bank disappears, access to credit becomes more difficult for small businesses in that market. And the, and the total amount of charitable contributions being made in that market declines, okay? That's an, un that's an unintended consequence. And so we, we believe at Neocova that if you arm these smaller banking companies with the digital tools that allow them to drive the same efficiencies as their bigger competitors and fintechs um, and drive more personalized engagement with their customers, that if we marry that, the more relationship-based banking model there is a segment of the market um, that will value that enough to create a, a, a really uh, vibrant, smaller than it was 30 years ago, but vibrant role in the financial ecosystem for the community banks and the credit unions. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, again, a lot of what you've covered already um, in this conversation do seem to be very significant points at the moment, whether it's, you know, what we talked about before with data and um, actually looking at things twice is probably a lot of things which are happening at the moment because how much disruption is happening and you kind of, you know, businesses and consumers are having to go along with the ride of it, um, but also actually learn on the job of it and actually think, is this going to work better? Is it something which I need to adapt to work with? Um, but, you know, I think, um, Unfortunately, you know, um, this q and I kind of wish we could do this for longer, um, but we're going to have to um, wrap things up at the moment. So, you know, uh, Ray, one of my sort of final questions for you to sort of close things out. Um, what would you say are some of the most exciting trends, um, you know, as a more of a positive note to end on, you know, the exciting trends you're seeing now um, in regards to the fintech space? You know, there's so much going on in fintech. It's hard. It's 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 hard to it's hard to answer that that question broadly with uh, with regards to fintech. So, I'll sort of narrow the lens, if you will, and and point it mm -hmm. at the, the the part of the market that 
that I live in, in that we live in at Neocova, and that's in, in sort of the, the banking space. I think there were, there were a couple of things that, uh, that w- I, we find I- intriguing and exciting. Um, one is the emergence of cryptocurrencies um, out, of, out of the shadows and the sort of, you know, out of the world of novelty and into the world reality. Now, I'm not talking about the the epic, you know, rise in the in the in the price of Bitcoin. You know, I have no idea where Bitcoin's going to settle out. But I don't, uh, and where it's going to be valued. Right? That's sort of a tangential impact of what I'm talking about. Okay. What I'm really mm-hmm. talking about is the legitimization of of cryptocurrencies as a as a as a as a means of financial exchange. Right. Um, when you look at the increased adoption of Bitcoin, for example, uh, as a as a as a means of financial engage and uh, financial exchange, sorry, as, as a means of of financing commerce, right? The fact that you can now go to an ATM in lots of places in the in the in the country um, and either mm-hmm. deposit or withdraw Bitcoin. Right, the fact that we now have at least one ba- community bank in the United States um, with a bank account that's denominated in 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 Bitcoin um, uh, is pretty exciting because a year ago we people were watching that phenomenon uh, and fascinated by it, but having no idea whether it was interesting or was going to the was going to go to the way of the the uh, the beta. Uh, VCR tape. Um, it, well, it's now it's now clear, right? If you and one of the things we talk about internally in Neocova with regard to cryptocurrencies is, if you don't believe they're real, simply consider this, right? The federal government could at any time put an end to any of these cryptocurrencies, right? Mm-hmm. They have not, and in fact, everyone from the Federal Reserve uh, to other arms of government are spending lots and lots of time and money. Um, exploring ways to incorporate cryptocurrencies um, into the management of 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 the the, the U.S. Uh, economy and banking system. So it's real. It's and it's super exciting to see how that emerges. The other thing, um, even closer to home for for me and for us, is that fintech is allowing companies to deliver very targeted financial services to underserviced um, subsets of the of of the population. I find it incredibly exciting to see that there are now um, neobanks that are targeted at um, disenfranchised parts of the US population, right? We just saw an announcement, um, uh, I believe it's Shaquille O'Neal who partnered up with 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 uh, another gentleman to to launch a a neobank uh, focused mm-hmm. on the black community in the United States, right? We have neobanks now launching who are specifically focused on the LGD, 
LGBTQ com community. Uh, we have a, uh, a neobank that was just launched uh, recently that's, uh, that's fully women run, that is targeted towards, towards women, et, et cetera. When I said early on that technology has allowed community banks to redefine community outside geographic mm -hmm. barriers, those are really good examples of that. And that's really, really exciting um uh to me because that's not disruption that that's 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 expansion in terms of how people access uh, financial services and it only works if you're able to harness tech good technology mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i think um with that you know it's actually seeing the positive side to the innovation that can happen you know like you said you're seeing these different uh banks or these different sort of demographics that are being reached again you know with where it's actually being like you said women-led you know it's actually hitting certain uh areas or certain so i suppose certain audiences you know where it can actually be something that's working positively um and kind of really seeing it innovate at the end of the day, it's something which you're able to witness and see it sort of grow. Um, so I think, you know, with everything that's been said, there's probably a few times in this conversation, I wish we could talk for longer. Um, but what I will say is for a lot of our listeners, it's a lot of information, which hopefully they will be gaining from this episode in regards to obviously yourself and your career journey, and obviously the background information uh, with Neocova and obviously everything else in between with the current trends which are rolling out. So um, now what I will say is thank you so much for joining me today, Ray. It's been an absolute pleasure um, and I wish you all the best for the rest of the year. Charlotte, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation and um, hope uh, you start getting yourself some better weather out there. <laughs> Let's hope it's going to be spring or I'd probably say, um, you know, hopefully, you know, today when I am looking out the window, it's going to be nice and sort of uh, sunny, but fingers crossed at the moment. <laughs> so hope springs eternal.